You are listening to That Bright Idea. It's a sweltering day in London at the moment. I've had a sweaty upper lip alert all Uh-oh. week. <laughs> and actually, constantly. the problem with the sweaty upper lip alert is that because I've been cold showering so much, my upper lip has been getting dry. So then I'm moisturising it. Then I'm sweating. Like I went on a meeting earlier and I literally like started the meeting by wiping under my lip. Just I was like... <laughs> Lovely. So um, I'm in a real, like, I'm in a really tough time at the moment between this, like, dry up. Yeah, you sleep deprived as well because it's just so hot. I can't yeah, sleep. I'm a bit sleep I don't have a fan. Or do I do have a fan, but Will always thinks that I unevenly point it at myself. And so we have to <laughs> share it. And I feel like if we That's share right. it, I don't get any. So I basically don't have a fan. Pointless, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair. How's your week been? I've been in isolation, so... Um haven't done anything apart from burning your stomach stomach yeah i got a lovely strip of burn in the middle of my stomach even inside the belly button which was (laughs) something i've never had before new new experience (laughs) new experiences (laughs) wow you are really experiencing life this week yeah living up in hawley (laughs) what have you done this week anything interesting well i had a huge celebration point because we reached 100 one hundred thousand? No, one thousand. A hundred thousand followers. It's a little bit more than real. Um, yeah, thousand followers on Instagram, which is Yay. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for following everyone. Considering we're just a little old pod, you know, getting those follows, yeah. it's great. Really means a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you cried when you found out, didn't you? Yeah, and I had to have a lie down. Yeah. <laughs> which is very rare for me. <laughs> so there you go. 1,000 followers. And if you haven't already joined the party, remember to follow. <laughs> you are listening to the most informative and fun podcast about innovation in the whole of the UK. Don't forget to subscribe, like or share from wherever you're listening from. The theme of this episode is all about accessibility because we want to talk about this because it's really important and we feel that it's just not good enough that there are these huge gaps when it comes to accessibility and people with disabilities just don't have the... Yeah, they don't have access to the things that we take for granted, things that we expect to be able to do and see and use, yeah. Things that have been created for able-bodied people but without consideration for people who have disabilities it makes no sense (laughs) so as you can tell by listening this is something that we're keen to learn more about we're keen to learn with you listening and we want to share some bright ideas on the topic in our first feature today we're going to be talking about live caption which is a new feature on google pixel phones that captures speech and turns it into text. So as you're talking on the phone or recording a voice note, this is translated into text so that um, people who maybe can't hear can see what's going on in real time. Yeah, and I think what makes this really different is it is literally the calls to another phone, that speech comes up for that, um and kind of zoom calls and whatsapp calls all in a different way because we've seen captions on the tv before but i don't think that for especially something when there's no video i've not yeah been aware of something so quick as well yeah and as well when there is no video 
that person can't even lip read the other person's mouth. So I think yeah. it probably seems like something like how how is it that if you're deaf or hard of hearing, you might not have been able to have a phone call until now. It's because there hasn't been the technology to just make an audio voice clip into text. Yeah, that is crazy as well, because phones have been around for ages and this hasn't really been accessible to the public yeah. yet. And that's the thing, the text, pro- the technology's probably been out there. Well, it has been out there. It's just not been utilised, prioritised and like implemented yeah. in a way <laughs> that <laughs> people can actually use it. So it's amazing that Google have done this. Um, yeah, even though I think there have been iterations of it, really the, the big shebang happened in early 2021. And we've got a little audio clip from a video of a guy who used this for the first time to speak to his son on the phone. Harry was the first person I phoned. It was incredible. And we were talking for about half an hour. All of a sudden, he said, Dad, do you realise this is the first time we talked on the phone? I would speechless for three, four seconds. And he realised what it really meant. I'm 55 years old. And for the first time in my life, I'm able to call my son. Oh, so nice to hear Matthew's opinion on this and that he's actually utilising it. And I thought it was so nice at the end where, um, if you watch the actual video, we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but at the end, he actually says that what inclusivity means is that no one feels left out. And he doesn't feel left out anymore because he's able to ring his friends and family. Very powerful message from Matthew. Yeah. So how does it work? So if you have this phone, you can easily activate it using the volume button. Um, and then there's a live caption option. And then once you've turned that setting on, it, it will do the live caption for any media playing on your phone, except music, I think. Yeah. Mm. Can't do songs yet. <laughs> oh. But maybe someone's using it to listen to us right now. Who knows? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really cool because not only can it detect like what we're saying to each other, but it can set it can put a I think it puts an emoji up of like when there's laughter or applause even. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise it's not captioned properly. So that's really cool. Yeah, exactly. Because mm. if it was just like that and then a pause, you might be like, oh, if you could, if the video wasn't on, but yeah, and so you can't see them laughing. But then if it tells you, then you know. Yeah. Cool. The only negative is it uses a lot more battery, but. People like you always have a power pack on them, don't they? Yeah, I do carry a power pack. (laughs) (laughs) I did nearly buy you a power pack after when I last saw you because I was like, I was like, it's a really boring present, but very practical because I think I couldn't believe we went away for a few days and you just just took a phone, no charge. Anyway, but that's on to another. Got different priorities, haven't we? Yeah, (laughs) especially especially in the pandemic, but at any point, phone calls are a powerful way of staying connected with other people. So actually making them something that anyone can do is massive. This might seem like something when you're like, oh, I can already do this, but the fact that we take it for granted. Yeah, imagine yeah. being in the pandemic and not even being able to ring someone. Yeah, exactly. So very good. Continuing on the theme of highlighting innovation in the accessibility space, I chatted with Kevin, an award-winning established designer who has thought of something quite incredible. Oh, exciting! 
So without further ado, hello Kevin. Hello. Hi, Hey. Hi everyone. <laughs> nice. Happy to be on the bright right. idea. Yay, great to have you. Now let's let's get on to the interview. I would love to pick your brains on folks' kitchenware, which just to introduce is a collection of kitchen tools that are designed to help people who are blind or partially sighted to prepare food safely. But first, can you tell us a bit about you basically. So I'm an industrial designer by training and I've been studying industrial design for about seven years. And how about folks kitchenware? So I guess what is it for our listeners who haven't heard of this before? Well the folks kitchenware is a set of five kitchen tools. So it consists of a knife, a chopping board, a teaspoon, uh, a stove ring, as well as a pot lid. So essentially mm-hmm. I chose these five different archetypes simply because they are, the, I think, the most fundamental basic tools that are required to prepare a simple meal. So from preparing um, vegetables or, or meat, um, then after that cooking it, and then eventually perhaps uh, sipping a good cup of tea or coffee. So I think these are the five basic tools that support um, the daily living uh, in terms of cooking and preparation. Mm-hmm. And I would say what's really interesting about this kitchenware is the fact that they leverage on tactile cues uh, which is something that the visually challenged are really sensitive to, which is a sense of touch, and leveraging on that to help them familiarize with the tools and therefore protecting them as well. And how do they? How does each thing work? It's so interesting how you've actually designed it to make it these kind of tactile cues. Mm. So for the knife itself, I, I mean, it started off with a pain point, really. The fact that the visually challenged often fear getting cuts, right? I mean, even mm-hmm. for people with sight, right? This, this can be a challenge, much less for people without yeah. them. And so I realized that the main challenge is that they are not very sure where the edge of the knife is. And that can be really precarious if, let's say, um, they are just sort of like cutting without any anchor, sort of like a, um, a tangible anchor to sort of leverage off and therefore mm-hmm. I realized that if let's say there's sort of like a proxy or something that sort of informed them of where the knife edge is they'll be more confident and that's one and number two is they'll be able to understand where the edge is and therefore avoid it and therefore protecting their hands and so the inventory design sort of keeps the same silhouette as a normal kitchen knife so this is something that people with acquired uh, blindness will be very familiar with so it's almost as good as holding a simple knife. But the difference would be that there would be sort of a little guard near the edge of the knife. And towards the end of the guard, there'll be a little sort of like a trigger. So every time the knife cuts into an ingredient or food, what happens is that the guard would lift and they can feel it literally, right? Um, with the, the trigger being lifted. And so they know that something is near the knife and you know where to position for the next cut. Ah, oh, cool. And what about things like the teaspoon mm. and the pot lid and the chopping board? So I guess what was really interesting behind each project or behind each tool in particular is the fact that each of them was sort of inspired by an observation. So in mm. the case of the knife, for example, the visually challenged are sort of fearful of the knife and therefore they keep their fingers very far away from the knife. But because of that, they are not sure where the knife is and that becomes more dangerous. 
And that's why the mm-hmm. gut encourages them to be as close as possible to the knife edge and therefore making it safe. It may be counterintuitive, yeah. but it's, this is actually the case. In the case of the chopping board, I realized that it's very common for the visually challenged to sort of have this scooping action, to perform this scooping action when they're transferring ingredients from the chopping board to, let's say, a bowl. And therefore, I've designed a chopping board with an extension. Uh, so basically, containers that can pack at the side of the chopping board that they can easily lift and sort of use to corral some of the ingredients into the containers and thereby helping them with the transfer of the ingredients. So it's really about leveraging on that observation. For the teaspoon, uh, it's actually the, the fact that the visual challenge would typically have a thumb or a finger placed inside the cup or the vessel in which they're filling the water. And how they know when to stop essentially is when the liquid touches the, the tip of their fingers or the thumb and you know, okay, this is where I should stop and they'll stop pouring. This can be rather dangerous mm-hmm. if you're talking about um, hot water as it may scald them. Yeah. And, and so that was really my concern. And I was just thinking, how do I sort of inform them in advance without using blaring alarms, for example, which is commonly used mm. in a lot of the tools that you see out there. And the reason why I choose to avoid using, maybe using audio cues, is the fact that sometimes um, this can be something that's not very natural to them and this can draw unwanted attention. So yeah, to their confidence, this can take a hit, right? So this could be screaming out to others that, hey, actually, I need a lot of help. And so it's really mm. a subtle thing that I'm also trying to balance here. So eventually, I was fishing one day and I was looking at a boil out at sea. And so that gave me an idea, mm-hmm. right? Because a boil will always be on top of water because it's less dense. And so what if I can have sort of like that boy design or that float integrated into a teaspoon so that if when the water rises, so will the float. And, and therefore, um. that, that sort of started the whole experimentation process. And eventually, I was able to sort of design a little... Um, float that sort of sits on the, the body or the stem of the teaspoon and therefore what happens is when water enters the vessel or the cup uh, as water rises so will the float and when the float touches the finger tip right or, or the thumb wow. then you'll know okay that's amazing yeah. it, it's really cool as well that you've kind of integrated design into tools that are already being used so like you say you've not added that's going to draw attention to it it's actually just subtle cues that help people to actually use the tools for kind of practical use rather than making their own design by putting their finger in the cup or something um which is really cool um and i guess going back to the problem because i like to to jump into the idea Mm -hmm. i want to paint a picture for the listeners of what what it is you do but I also think that the problem here is really interesting like what actually inspired you to set this up to be honest um, this project the Fox Kitchenware project was actually done when I was in my last year of my bachelor's degree to be honest frankly speaking I have no idea what I wanted to do back then uh, and so what I was doing was I was just sitting down I think it was on a weekend evening or something like that and I was sitting down and I was watching the MasterChef um, series and so on TV I saw this MasterChef contestant which later became uh, the MasterChef I think for the second or third season right so she's Miss Christine Ha and I think what's so amazing 
when I was watching that was that um, I didn't realize that she was actually visually challenged. So she couldn't mm-hmm. see at all, but she was able to sort of perform this rituals really perfectly, even though she, she doesn't have sight. And so that got me curious, like, um, because I think prior to that, I would never have imagined that a person who is visually challenged would be able to pick up a knife and start cutting ingredients really, uh, if not better than mm. a person who is visually um, sighted. And then after that, to yeah. be able to have that confidence to go near the fire. And so, and I guess this discovery or this realization sort of seeded the very first aspects of exploration where I really started to sort of Google and really to do some desk research um, into uh, the visually challenged, what it is, what are conditions and um, what are sort of the strengths that come with a person who is visually challenged, um, which is often something mm-hmm. that people would um, downplay or neglect. So even though mm-hmm. um, a person who has lost a sight are not able to see what's in front of them or around them, but actually what they have gained in response is an um, acute sense of touch and hearing. So, so these are some yeah. of the things that I sort of picked up along the way, which is really fascinating. And so I think that sort of started the project. And then I think what motivated me to go further down that route was when I sort of reached out to a few organizations and they mm-hmm. provided me access to speak to the visually challenged, to the community. And I was able to get a lot more understanding about what their pain points, what the challenges that they face. Um, and I think that really gave me the insights that propelled the project forward. And I love it as well, how it started with MasterChef and this incredible woman. And one thing we talked about when we caught up last time that really stuck with me, you were telling me about empathy mm. design. What part did that play in the design of this product? I think it definitely played a pivotal uh, role in the whole as. In the, in the whole project, really, in the whole design of this project. In the very first stages, I actually blindfolded myself for um, for about a week or so. And it was just about um, carrying out daily tasks and activities just to understand how it felt like to live in a world of darkness. So that, of course, is not exactly the same um, feeling that you would get mm. knowing that you will not be able to see for the rest of your lives. But I, I guess the mm. difference is that um, even when you open your eyes um, when they're blindfolded and the fact that you're not able to see, I think that gave me a lot of insights. And I, I think that is definitely something that's very powerful because from that, I was able to understand what are essentially the strengths of the visually challenged. So an edge of a table, for example, is a very good spatial anchor for them to understand uh. where to go next. And so these are just some of the yeah. things which is really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, because I remember as, as well, like you were saying that if somebody's not doing something, like if people who are blind or partially sighted aren't cooking for themselves a lot, it's not because they can't cook, it's because of the tools that are available. That's correct. So, because obviously you're the expert on this, can you explain what design with empathy is for people who might not have heard of that term before? I, I guess in, in a nutshell, I would say designing with empathy is placing yourself in the shoes of the person you're designing for or the user you're designing for and really understanding what are the strengths and also what are the challenges mm-hmm. of the particular individual. 
So in many cases, they often only look at the weaknesses or rather the, the challenges that they face and sort of really neglect the strengths that they have. So yeah. I think to desire for empathy or with empathy, um, for that matter, is really to understand two sides of the coin, to understand the challenges that they face, but also what are some of the strengths that they gain in that process. Yeah, it's just a completely different way of looking at it, I think. And I guess what's interesting is that, so for every set a person purchase, one set will be donated and the proceeds will go That's great. The proceeds will go directly to the organizations um that uh, we choose. So this can be international Fantastic. or the local organizations that support the visually challenged. That's brilliant. Wow. And so would people is it gonna be via will the name be via Vokes folks kitchenware or will it be under a different name? It'll be under the folks kitchenware. So they're trying to oh, cool. hopefully stay true to the name that I sort of gave when I first started the project and it resonated yeah. a bit. Yeah. That's amazing. So if people just Googled folks kitchenware, hopefully some point soon, they'll be able to see this product being sold, which is really yep. cool. About just finally to kind of wrap up, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My I mean, pleasure. folks kitchenware in itself is fantastic. Thank but you. also if people who are listening want to check out Kevin's portfolio, if you don't mind, Kevin, we'll link that in the show notes, if that's okay with Not you. At all. And you can look at all the other ideas that kind of Kevin's working on. Oh, that was so interesting. There's such simple ideas that can obviously save people actual injuries. Also, just to highlight that Kevin is an inventor, so he's the epitome of this podcast. And he's also invented things including makeup from food waste, new air purification systems and elastic light. So when I was speaking to Kevin, I really had to keep it focused because there was a lot of other stuff <laughs> oh, I wanted to ask to him about. Tangents. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no tangents, but more like I was having to bite my mouth together <laughs> to make sure I didn't. Because I was just curious, like, because he also works obviously for Dyson. So... Oh, he does that. He's also an that. inventor. Mm, yeah. Busy boy. Busy. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to set a reminder for the next episode, which will be out in two weeks. Oh, look Bye. That. Set a reminder. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>